International Orienteering Podcast Mapping Compass Navigation Skill Orienteering Competition International Orienteering Podcast We warmly welcome you to International Orienteering Podcast This World Cup conclusion episode Both of us have been here in Davos watching the World Cup final and uh, we have a lot to talk about now. Or what do you think, Ivo? Yeah, uh, it's been a really exciting weekend in Davos uh, and it's also really exciting for us to do this episode because it's the first time we do it face to face. We are both uh, best on the radio or on the podcast but face to face also works should work well. And we can start with a relay uh, on the World Cup, uh, Eva. It was high altitude, really high and really cold and a bit rainy up there. Yeah, uh, so the relay on Saturday uh, was organized in Madrisa, uh, a ski station high up in the mountainside. It was really cold, especially for us spectators. Um, the rain did not make it better and we saw that even some runners were struggling with the heat, with the temperature and a lot of them were running with uh, yeah with thermo and even some runners with gloves normally you don't see that in the summer sport of orienteering uh, we can uh, start with the men's race uh, maybe since they started the relay uh, there you had a guess of Norway ahead of Sweden and Finland uh, before the relay we could uh, see that Sweden did not have uh, Gustav Bergman and Martin Regborn in the lineup. Uh, would you have guessed other if uh, you knew that before? Uh, no, not regarding the Swedish team. Uh, but if I had knew the Finnish lineup without both Elias Kuka and Mika Kirmula missing, I would not put them on the on my top three. But uh, actually, bo- both uh, Kuka and Kirmula had uh, some um, struggling with injuries and uh, illness. So they had to uh, retire from the relay to be able to run the individual. Yeah, so that means that Finland, they came to the start with a weaker lineup. And yeah, we saw that when the running started that they were not going to be in the fight for the top spots that day. Um, we saw uh, uh, even without Matthias Kibbutz, uh, Switzerland won uh, ahead of Norway and uh, Sweden. Uh, do you have any takes on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I didn't guess the uh, Swiss runners in the top three and on home ground that is uh, clearly always a mistake. Uh, they had a really good relay. Uh, Daniel Hubmann started with uh, coming back first on the first leg. And then Florian Hovalt lost some time. Uh, he has been struggling with COVID uh, in the autumn and his form was not good. And they dropped down a little bit. Uh, but Joey Hardon on the last leg, uh, after a bit of struggle in the beginning, he did a really, really fast last 65% of the course and uh, caught up with the others and passed them and yeah, absolutely smashed them on that last loop, which was really, really heavy physical. Uh, we saw Flo, Flo, uh, Joey Haddon, he uh, had a really good jaywalk um, down in the same area as here in, uh, six years ago. Uh, do you think uh, we what we saw on the relay uh, could uh, be something we can see in the World Champs next year from him? Uh, I think uh, obviously Joey Haddon is really, really strong physical. 
uh, and these Swiss mountain terrains really suit him that way. Uh, he's really, really fast in the steep uphill parts. Um, and yeah, when it's open, it's, I think that is also good for his orienteering technique when there's good visibility. We saw that uh, in the earliest phase of the last leg, uh, they ran some tricky downhill controls in the forest. And there he yeah, made some mistakes, lost some time, got passed by a few teams. Uh, but then when they turned up again, and especially in the last half of the course, which was in the open area, he was uh, really, really impressive. And maybe we saw from uh, Hubman something we should see more from uh, later in the competition, sir, already on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he showed uh, really good form that uh, day. Uh, and we, when we talked with him uh, a few weeks ago after the Swiss Long Distance Championship, and he, you asked him about uh, the preparation for World Champs next year and his goal, and then he mentioned the relay. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's not an understatement to say that Hubman generally has been a bit underperforming in the relay during his World Champs career, uh, maybe because he's always been focusing more on the individual events. Uh, but now it seems like he is really motivated to, to run the relay next year. And I mean, you can't do a better, uh, you can't do a much better performance to prove that you should be in the team next year than he did that day. And uh, to uh, uh, look at the girls, uh, there we had a guessing of uh, Sweden, Switzerland and uh, Norway. Uh, Tuva Alexandersson and Lina Son were, were not in the lineup of the uh, Swedish team. Uh, if uh, you knew that, would you have uh, put it maybe like it was in the end, with uh, Switzerland ahead of Sweden and Norway? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, when the Swedish team is missing Tuve, that is uh, always uh, a big factor. And yeah, the Swedish team was in the lead out on the last leg, I think. Uh, but Sanna Fast was not able to was not able to beat Simone Eberschold, and that's not really a surprise. But if it was Tuve instead, it would have been a whole different battle. Um, but in both relays, uh, it was uh, the last leg runner who decided. Uh, so at least uh, my conclusion: both uh, Eberschold and Hadon had the best uh, legs on the last leg. Um, best fastest leg on the last leg um, uh, is there any other takes you have on the relays yeah i mean first it's not that uh, uncommon because we know that the international relays they are quite short so there is often quite close after two legs uh, and especially in this terrain where basically the last half of the course was uh, technically quite easy um, so then it's harder to run away early um, and then you end up with a really tight battle uh, and we saw that especially in the men's relay there was a lot of teams in the fight all the way until the arena passage there was uh, five different teams still in the battle uh, with one one and a half kilometer to go and that was really exciting and i mean for obvious reasons we have to give a big shout out to the italian team uh, with uh, francesco mariani the former junior world champion in sprint ricardo scalet also a medalist from Jaywalk, also a medalist from Jaywalk and a top three from the World Cup last year on the second leg. He ran absolutely brilliant. Uh, and then Mattia De Bertolis on the last leg kept up with the big boys at the arena passage. Uh, but then in the last bit, he faded a little bit, but was able to defend the fifth place. So a fifth place for Italy is a superb result. 
Yeah, but actually, uh, yeah, it's a superb result. But uh, uh, the terrain uh, we saw here is uh, they have uh, such terrain also in Italy, so they can handle uh, uh, contour lines and uh, do orienteering in that kind of terrain. I think. Yeah. So I mean, and they also are really, really young. Uh, and as we will mention a bit later, uh, when we come to the long distance, they also have a fourth runner that is really promising. So. I mean, uh, this fifth place, I mean, that can be a, a good sign of what they can be able to perform in the World Championship, Championship Relay next year, because the terrain should suit them really well also there. That's exciting. Uh, do you have an, any other uh, things to bring up uh, uh, about the relays? Yeah, if we keep on a little bit with the men team, we had the, the French second team finishing in sixth place. Uh, it was great to see Frédéric Tranchard back in orienteering. He did a solid first leg, uh, came back just behind Hubman. Uh, so Tranchard is, uh, is good and I think a strong Tranchard uh, with good mind for orienteering. He will be a key, key member of the relay team for France in the next year World Championship. And we have seen that before that they can be a medal contender. And then we also had a bit of a strange situation on the second leg with the Swedish second team where Isak von Klusenstjerna ran really well, but mispunched quite strange way. I mean, uh, the controls were not even that close and they did not look similar at all. Um, so that's why Sweden too was uh, picked off on the last leg and they were also in the battle for the victory. Um, but yeah, when you miss punch, you're out. That's quite simple. Uh, are there other takes uh, you have? Uh, if we jump a little bit back to the women's relay, there was uh, as a spectator and an orienteering nerd. Uh, I mean, it's so frustrating to see a first leg where there is one good runner that starts super fast to the start point, makes actually a quite big gap down to the other teams and then follows up with missing the first control. Uh, this time it was Megan Carter-Davis for the British team. She started so fast and she was so far ahead of the others when they left the trail and went out in the forest. And then she missed the first control, she missed the second control. And when she punched the third control, she was nine minutes behind. I mean, if you're going to start fast, you need to get the first control. Um, yeah. And then as we will see, a bit later in the weekend, uh, the Danish team seems to be completely off. I don't know if it's the terrain or if it's a form, uh, but they started really bad on the relay and they were struggling the whole weekend. Uh, we actually talked to Joey. Do you think we should listen to him before we continue with the middle? Yeah, that sounds great. International Orienteering Podcast. Even national orienteering podcast. I so lucky that we can uh, talk to Joey Haddon after you decided the World Cup relay here in Switzerland. How was it out there on the last leg? It was nice. I had a pretty solid uh, the position and went out. And it was first a task to really uh, find the first few controls in the tricky forest. And then I knew we have a long leg and I can uh, physically push. And uh, I did some mistakes in the forest, some really small. And then I could really catch up uh, on the long leg and knew I was now with the leading group. And I felt that I have uh, a good physical shape and I had a uh, good forking before the passage. 
So yeah, I took that chance and uh, went in lead. And yeah, it felt it felt great to do orienteering. I mean, uh, I know this terrain very well. We do a lot of orienteering also when we were young in such open and semi-open terrain. And then it was uh, yeah, just uh, a bit nervous, but uh, Grace last loop for me and uh, was really happy to uh, bring the victory the first time in the first team in the finish. Yeah, no, you also sent a message to the national team coach that you will run the last leg in the World Champs uh, relay next year. Yeah, I think, you know, it, uh, it can always uh, happen a lot in a year. And everybody knows that uh, Matthias Kiburz, um is, uh, of course, the strongest runner in, in Switzerland. And he showed it this some weeks ago. Sadly, he got injured. So I think he's still... Uh, one uh, favorite for the for the last leg, but I think also the second leg is maybe quite similar. So of course I hope for a for a leg in this team. But I mean we are four or five guys who are pretty competitive, and we will see who is having the best shape next year. Uh, what are your goals next year when we are looking at the world champs? Yeah, of course is the first goal to particip- participate there. Anyhow, and um, yeah, it would be nice to, to run a lot of distances. I mean, long distance would be really nice, uh, up a bit in the altitude, which I really like. The relay is always uh, really nice because you have a, a good uh, medal uh, chance. And with this team, it would be really nice on home ground to, to, to bring a medal home or even take a gold medal since a long time for Switzerland. Yeah, you showed today that uh, you're capable of uh, doing that on the last leg. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. Thanks. International Orienteering Podcast. And after uh, the relay, there was a middle distance uh, uh, down in uh, Davos, uh, about the seaside in Davos Sea. Um, How was it there, Ivo? You were also running the spectator race there. Yeah, so I was out in the forest myself, and I mean, uh, uh, the ex- my experience from the terrain was really, really nice. It was a very nice forest uh, with uh, quite tricky technical uh, challenges, and we saw that in the World Cup races that there was, uh, yeah, quite some mistakes, uh, which is not uncommon when the best runners really try to push it. Um, but yeah, if we go through the results, uh, we, we start with the women's. Uh, my guess beforehand was that it would be a nice battle between Simona Ebersold and Tove Alexandersson, where Simona was going to take the victory, and Sara Hagström was my guess for number three. And how did the results end? Uh, it ended, um, yeah, uh, Tove took the victory ahead of uh, Andrine Benjaminsen and uh, Lisa Risby. Uh, so you don't have any, you don't believe in Benjaminsen in the middle, but she surprises you there. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about after the Norwegian champs, she was motivated by by us not mentioning her as the favorite. So I took that uh, strategy with me this weekend, and it seems like uh, she she wanted to prove us wrong again. But uh, you had uh, Sara Hagstrom as number three. She she was number four, and Simona number five here. So yeah, it's much much uh, about uh, the same names there. So you have them in the in the mix. Yeah, and I think the women's orienteering is uh, has been quite uh, predictable this year, and that's a sign of that the best runners they are performing at the top level when it counts, and that's a credit to them. And we saw also during the race it was uh, it was a battle between mainly between two Alexandersson and Simona, 
Abershold uh, with Tove in the front. Uh, and then they both made a mistake on the last technical control where the Tove made about a minute mistake and Simona made over two minutes mistake. Uh, so she dropped from second to fifth place just by the end. And of course, when she came to the finish, she was not happy about that. Uh, and uh, there was um, some uh, were not in the lineup for the relays. So uh, it was half a minute for Benjaminson uh, to Tuve Alexanderson. Was that the tired legs after a relay or uh, would Tuve won anyway? Ah, it's hard, of course it's hard to say, but uh, it seemed like Andrina was uh, performing close to her best level. So it seemed like the relay was not really affecting her at all. And so if we look at the men's uh, class, uh, you had the guest uh, Kasper Fosser ahead of Emil Svensk and Mika Kirmula. Yeah, and Kasper Fosser, uh, we talked about him in the previous episode that his form was really, really good at the Norwegian Cup last weekend. Uh, and he performed again a solid middle distance where yeah, he kept his speed high. And when the others made mistake, uh, he went pretty clean. And in the end, he won with almost one minute ahead of Albin Riedefeldt. And Daniel Hubmann was one second behind Albin, I think. Yeah, and then that was maybe because Daniel ran the relay. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, at uh, Daniel's age, I mean, those uh, it takes hard time to recover. So yeah, of course, if he didn't run the relay, he would be at least two seconds faster. And uh, you had Emil as uh, number two, he was uh, number five. And uh, Kirmula, he had not so good day in the forest. He was number 39. But uh, he actually had an infection in the foot uh, earlier this week. So he was uh, at the hospital some days. And uh, yeah, that's what uh, was why he didn't run the relay and maybe not so fit even in the middle distance. Well, I'm not sure. It's like, it's really strange because, uh, yeah, I mean, of course he clearly had some problems, but it, if you're looking at the splits and the times, uh, he looked really, really fast. Uh, I mean, he was leading the, he was in the front of the race uh, for a very long time, but then he made mistakes. Um, so it seemed to be more that the technical uh, execution was his problem. And the same the, in the long distance than the following day. Um, and with Emil Svensk, you know, ah, he's so fast and you can see during the races, he's always in the front and then he makes a mistake. Uh, it's been like that in almost every single international race this year. So he's still waiting for that uh, full hit. And uh, is there any other takes? Um, I mean, uh, we had also uh, Gustav Bergman and Martin Regborn chasing Kasper Fosser in the overall standings. Uh, but uh, actually, it was Kasper who decided the overall World Cup uh, with this uh, victory. Yeah, I mean, both Gustav and Martin, they skipped the relay uh, to focus on the overall World Cup. But I'm, in my opinion, I mean, I think they were focusing on second and third to keeping their positions because uh, they should. I th I'm sure they knew that Kasper would going to be really, really hard to beat. Uh, but yeah, they did okay races. They were seventh and eighth. Uh, Gustav had a really super fast start, very impressive. The first four controls, he won, he had the fastest split to all the first four controls. And after three minutes and 40 seconds, he was in the lead with more than 20 seconds. That's not normal. Uh, but yeah, then, then he lost his speed a little bit and he couldn't keep up with Kasper. Um, 
He said afterwards, after his race, that he had some problem with his Achilles. He hit it a bit during the race. Uh, but I think he was already dropping speed at that time. Yeah, he said he had uh, a hit on the Achilles and uh, yeah, it was hurting a bit. Um, do you have any other takes? Joey had on, he was uh, quite fast uh, as we spoke about in the relays. Yeah, and he was really fast also here uh, for a long time. I think he was leading the race after about 20-25 minutes. Uh, but then in the last part of the race he made quite a few mistakes and dropped down in the result list. Uh, I think we also had a, uh, something we have talked about earlier this uh, in an earlier podcast about the Austrian uh, national team selection for next year where they are dropping Robert Merl and Ursula Fesselhofer. And it was very interesting to see that they were both uh, yeah, the best Austrian in the middle distance, the best Austrian in the long distance. And especially Robert did a really, really good middle distance and finishing in 16th place. And that's his best international forest result in almost 10 years since the World Championship in back in 2014. So, I mean, he's uh, on the form of his life, more or less. And there is a World Championship next year. And still they choose to not uh, yeah, give him the support he needs and he wants. So that's a bit strange. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, do you have any other takes? I mean, uh, you were out running in the same area as uh, the World Cup. Uh, you could, uh, you, you actually, your uh, girlfriend uh, ran the World Cup race and you were running the spectator race. Uh, what do you think about that? Ah, yeah, you know, we were also in the forest at the same time, but I didn't see her. But I saw a lot of other World Cup racers. And uh, I think that is really strange. Uh, I'm not sure if we had any of the same controls, uh, but I mean, I guess I saw 15 runners during my race and I don't think it should be like that in a World Cup race. Uh, you should organize it in a place where, or either, or you should have the selection race, spectator races afterwards. They should not be in the forest at the same time. Uh, definitely, it would be, uh, yeah, it's a pity if they can... Uh, uh, be uh, dis uh, disturbing the runners. Yeah, and I mean, if if uh, some if if it even was using the same controls, that's even worse because then a World Cup runners can see someone else punching their control. And yeah, I I'm expecting this to not be an issue at the World Championship next year. It definitely shouldn't. Uh, and uh, as we talked about, Casper uh, Fossa decided the overall World Cup uh, with his victory here and. Um, to those already also uh, deciding uh, her uh, victory overall. Uh, but uh, even though uh, there was one race left, the long distance on Monday, and here you had the guess of uh, Tove ahead of Simona and Elena Ross. Yeah, and Tove, she was, uh, yeah, she was not having her best race uh, today. Uh, quite a lot of mistakes. Uh, especially one route choice where she got stuck in a really really steep area uh, where she lost a lot of time uh, before that she was in the lead of the race but then yeah she lost a lot of time and maybe that had an effect on her motivation I don't know uh, but because uh, the last part of the race was not great either and she finished only in fifth place when we're talking about her a fifth place that's really uh, only a fifth place um, but uh, Simona, she she was uh, winning the race. Uh, I had again of Andrina Bannimensen and Elena Rosa. So you had them at the third uh, place. 
Uh, maybe a bit of surprise. Elena hasn't uh, performed so good in the forest uh, earlier this season, but you you knew that she was uh, capable of uh, doing good in uh, this kind of terrain. Yeah, I mean, she has uh, had good results on similar kind of races before. Uh, if we jump back to the World Cup final in 2017 up in Grindelwald, uh, then she won the long distance. So, and her form has been quite good this autumn. So it's no no surprise that she's up there fighting for the for the top spots. And if we look at the men's race, so you had uh, Kasper Fossar uh, as the winner in front of Daniel Hubman and Magni Dali. And here the old man, uh, Hubman, was uh, taking the victory ahead of Max Peter Beymer and uh, Kasper Fossar. Um, yeah, uh, how, oh, I should not uh, ask if you are impressed, but how impressed are you of Daniel Hubman's weekend? I mean, I'm really impressed. Two victories in a second place. Uh, yeah. It's it's like uh, this is good old Hubman back again. It's like he's 15 years younger again. Um, but yeah, we have proven in this autumn that his form has been going upwards. So it's no surprise that he's fighting for the top spots. And especially today when Kasper Foster delivers a technical, really, really, really bad race by his standards. Uh, then there is open. Uh, we know we know that in normally in this terrain we could expect Kasper Foster and Matthias Kiburts to be ahead above the others. Uh, but with Kasper on a bad race and Matthias not on the start list, uh, it was an open race, and it was really close race. Uh, but in the end, Daniel, with his uh, experience, uh, was able to pass the young Swedes. Um, and yeah, the second place for Max Peter Beimer. He's really he's. I mean, it's hard. Ha it's a bit harsh to say this is his breakthrough. I mean, he's already world champion in sprint relay, uh, but uh, I'm a bit old-fashioned, so a long distance that counts a lot more. Uh, so a second place in a long distance at the World Cup final—it's a huge, huge achievement for him. I—I uh, I think uh, he was the most satisfied guy on the podium today. Uh, uh, Daniel was satisfied, but uh, Max Peter was really satisfied. He, the, he has a f uh, number five. He was in the sprint uh, in the World Cup and uh, World Champs last year. But uh, this is definitely best in the forest uh, discipline. And do you know which place he was on the middle distance the day before? Ah, he had a really bad middle distance. I think he was outside the points. Yeah, it was uh, 41, 40, 42 or something. So he had uh, he had a great comeback. And, and he was best of many Swedish runners. So it's important to be show that you are uh, the best Swede, I think. Yeah, and especially uh, when you perform a result like this in in a race that is supposed to be quite similar to what we're expecting at the World Championship next year. Uh, I mean, this second place will count a lot for him when it comes to the World Championship selection next year. I mean, it's not it's too early to say that he's already qualified because there was a lot of Swedish runners doing well today. And we know that the Swedish team is really strong. But to have a podium uh, to show for, that's, that's a huge deal. Uh, is it other things uh, that you noticed from the long distance? Yeah, I mean, if we continue on the Swedish track, uh, among the men, they had four, five, six, I think they had six runners in the top 11. And I think that must be the best Swedish uh, team performance by the men in a continental long distance in long long time I probably could be even the best they ever had
but uh, one thing, I was uh, had uh, a few words with uh, Max Petabema when he was uh, sitting there in the podium together with Daniel, and I said, uh, Martin Regborn, he is uh, not helping uh, Kasper to keeping the speed. Uh, and Max Petter said, no, definitely not. But he was, uh, both he and Gustav Bergman was in the back of Kasper. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, Gustav, he started six minutes ahead of Kasper. So he got caught at the very end. Uh, but Martin Regborn, he started three minutes uh, ahead of Kasper Fosser. And he got caught pretty early on. Uh, I think it was on the way to the eight control. Uh, but then both of them missed. And Kasper had a quite big mistake. So he lost Regborn again. And then they came together at the 15 control. And at this point of the race, Martin Regborn was in 57th position. And then he runs the last almost, I think it was almost one hour of running, 45 minutes to one hour of running. He's running mostly in the back of Kasper Fosser. I think he punched before him on a few controls. Um, but yeah, so he's running in the back of Kasper Fosser and climbing from 57th to 11th spot. And uh, that 11th spot was quite crucial for his, yeah, for his uh, overall second place. Um, it wasn't. It was quite close between him and Gustav Bergman. So yeah, uh, Regborn he got a nice ride. Is it other takes on the long distance? Yeah, I mean we can see that Hanna Lundberg in the women's class, uh, she was uh, disqualified, and I think it was because she ran into a forbidden area. Uh, and that's interesting because, uh, yeah, as we saw on the relay the day be- uh, two days ago, there were a lot of runners running in the forbidden area. They didn't get disqualified. Uh, but yeah, I can't see any other reason for her being disqualified. But you might heard something. Uh, no, actually, I haven't heard uh, anything there. But uh, there is um, there is a case there. They will um, do the guidelines uh, more clearly uh, for the next season. They have an open IOF uh, council or uh, photo committee. So uh, they may uh, even take away the jury uh, to get uh, one uh, referee, actually, to look at uh, those cases. Yeah, so there might be some changes how things will be judged next year. Uh, But yeah, before we move on, I want to... I want to give a shout out to the Italian junior, Ilian Angeli, finishing in a strong 31st place. Uh, only 10 minutes behind uh, the winner today and that's a really really good performance uh, by a junior yeah that was the guy uh, who was one of the guys who got a uh, bronze medal in the sprint and he is uh, yeah eager to get more medals when there will be forest disciplines in the jaywalk uh, later this autumn yeah of course the terrain in portugal is a bit different but uh uh, he is definitely one of the guys that we have to watch out for for when Jaywalk will be decided in about a month time. And you also I noticed uh, from a former junior uh, star. Yeah, uh, we had uh, the former junior world champion Thomas Kurige, which won, I think it was the middle distance he won, middle distance and relay at the Jaywalk back in 2016, also in Switzerland, when he was running for Switzerland. Uh, he made his international debut this year at senior level for Team USA. And that's because he was actually born in USA. So he has uh, two passports. And I mean, the former junior world champion, uh, you can always have high hopes for him, but he's obviously not training a lot anymore. But he did an okay relay leg about five minutes behind. So he was uh, 
before a lot of good runners on that first leg and then on the individual races he was 117 in the middle and just outside the top 100 in the long uh, but if he wants to train a little bit more next year i mean it's not impossible to see usa getting maybe a top 30 spot in the in the world championship middle distance or what do you think uh, I, I know that uh, both uh, he and uh, bruce springsteen is uh, born in the usa and uh, and nikuriga he has had some uh, uh, Illness, epilepsy, we say in Norway, uh, uh, after he became senior. So maybe he wants to run a world uh, championship in uh, yeah, in home ground in Switzerland for uh, USA. So uh, yeah, he could uh, definitely increase the level if he uh, yeah, aim for that uh, world champs. Yeah, so then I guess we should jump to the overall World Cup. Yeah, and uh, there, uh, Tuva Alexanderson, you, you guessed her as a winner. And she got her eighth uh, victory in a row. That's uh, quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, if you before this weekend guessed uh, Tove to be the overall winner, if you bet 100 euros, you would probably get 100 euros back. Uh, she had a big lead, and yeah, she is generally the best runner. And she decided uh, the overall World Cup on, on uh, Sunday's middle distance. And even if she ran a bad long distance, it was already done. So eight in a row, that's uh, quite sensational. And uh, on uh, on Sunday, she got uh, her 41 uh, uh, individual victory in the World Cup. And uh, Hoban uh, on Monday got his 32nd. So uh, there, are, there are quite a lot of victory in between them. Yeah, I would guess that Simone Nigli maybe has more, but uh, I don't know the numbers. I had to do some uh, work there today and I asked uh, Nigli. And she said, yeah, a couple of 60. So Tuve has uh, some work to do. Yeah, oof, 20, to catch 20 World Cup victories, that's going to take quite a while uh, when there are so few races in the World Cup as it is nowadays. Yeah, and uh, after Tuve, you had um, at, uh, in the overall Simona Abbasolt and Andrina Benjaminsen climbed to number three. Yeah, and in the men's... Uh, uh, Kasper Fosse, he won again, defended his title from last year, uh, ahead of Martin Regborn and Gustav Bergman. And we have to mention that, uh, uh, unfortunately, Vanille Harjo, uh, she had got uh, COVID, so she could not uh, defend her uh, position number three in this uh, weekend. So it was, uh, yeah, and Benjaminson had to climb, uh, uh, take, uh, <laughs> battle down Lina Strand and but it was a bit easier when Hoyu uh, was out of the fight. Yeah, but as we saw this weekend, if we if we take away Olle Oyanau, then I think the Finnish runners they were struggling a bit. Uh, it's hard to say if it's uh, technical or if it's physical or if it's the altitude or if it's the steep hills. But uh, yeah, they were uh, a bit below, or actually like quite a lot below the, what the level was at the European Champs, for example. Yeah, but uh, Ole Oyano, as you mentioned, he um, definitely has uh, had his uh, breakthrough in the senior class this year, I will say. Yeah, I mean, this this uh, this weekend he got two fourth place in the individual races. Uh, in the in the middle, he was only seven seconds behind Albin Riedefeldt in second place. And in the long distance, he was not that far away from uh, a top three either. Uh, so huge step forward for him this year. And it will be really, really interesting to see what he can do next year. If he can get another good year of training in, maybe he can step up even more and actually challenge for the gold medals at World Championship next year. He's not that far away. 
Yeah, it will actually bring us uh, to that. Uh, do you uh, do you have any thoughts of the World uh, Championship next year? Uh, should we just uh, use the the uh, results from this weekend and uh, say that uh, Hubman, Fossa, and uh, Argidefelt, Beimer, Alexanderson will uh, yeah be be the best runners next year also. I think, uh, I mean, those runners that did really well this weekend, they will have every possibility to do good also next year. But I'm expecting there to be some differences in the terrains. Uh, if you start with the middle distance, for example, I think that next year at World Championship, it's going to be more uh, detailed area. Uh, the old map from the area that I guess the middle distance will go looks really, really technical with a lot of details. Uh, certainly more than what it was this weekend uh, so yeah I think the middle distance might be more technical uh, in the long distance it might go the other way around I suspect there to be a lot more open areas up on really high altitude uh, especially for the first part of the long distance this year at the World Cup uh, it wasn't that much of these yellow areas uh, so yeah some small some small differences there and also in the relay this weekend uh, half the course was up in the open areas I think it's going to be more forest next year but yeah the relay where the relay will go next year is more open uh, so it could be up in the open slopes but uh, I think it's going to be more forest uh, about uh, relays uh, it makes me uh, think about uh, this uh, last uh, round in the World Cup uh, I don't like when uh, Lots of the best runners do not show up uh, to the starting line. Uh, is it uh, a way we can uh, avoid that uh, the best runners are uh, spectators? Yeah, I think uh, the easy solution is that you have the relay as the last race. Uh, but I think the reason why the organizers did like they did this year with the relay on the Saturday, the middle on the Sunday, and the long distance on the Monday is that they want to have the relay and the middle distance with which is the two best disciplines for the TV to be on the best days in the, in the weekend so in in a World Cup round like this I think it's the best thing is to have the long distance first on Thursday and then you have a rest day and then you have the middle and the relay in the weekend uh, that's what they did at the, at the World Cup last year both in Idre and in Italy and I think that's a better solution. And uh, how will it? Uh, how would you have sold the, uh, yeah, the World Cup format and uh, the solutions? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, I have some issues uh, first with the with the TV production of orienteering. Uh, I watched uh, yesterday. I watched the, the replay of the middle distance at the Swiss TV, and. I noticed something that I've seen a lot of times also in the Norwegian TV broadcast so I expect it's the same problem for all the different broadcasts to different nations. It's so annoying to have the speaker very very low in the background. Uh, so basically the commentators and the speaker and the, the sound goes over each other and uh, it's, not, it's not good for TV and it looks very amateurish. Uh, I don't. I'm. I'm not a technical genius on these kind of things, but there must be solutions where you can block out the sound from the from the speaker, so you have only the commentator's voice. And uh, and otherwise, uh, there were also some problems with the um, the watch and the TV broadcast on the relay. That's not good either. Yeah, they were struggling a bit with the timing. Uh, 
the live results was not working either. Uh, I expect uh, that the Swiss organizers for this World Cup were also testing stuff for the World Championship next year. So I hope they can sort it out in those 10 months that is left for their World Champs. There should not be uh, any mistakes on that on the World Champs. Um... Uh, yeah, and you know, especially in Switzerland, because you know Switzerland is the is the country of the watches, so they should they should have the timing uh, sorted. Uh, is there any other things uh, you had um, around the uh, World Cup format or concept? Yeah, I, I want more World Cup rounds uh, and more races. Uh, now it's uh, it's been this. Uh, set up for a few years and it's going to be the same next year where you have three rounds of world cup and the world championship and i would like to add one more round and um, mostly because i want uh, i think the for tv it's good to have more races on the on the tv box and um, so yeah people can non-orienteers can watch orienteering more often and get a closer relation to 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 the top runners and i think it's uh, would be good for the sport it would be good for the runners to get easier to get sponsors uh, more visible and everything so yeah i would start with adding one more world cup round and then of course there's always this discussion like how do you want to do it uh the cal calendar is so full uh, blah 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 so i would do i would propose that you keep it simple um you always have the world championship in the summer that's a good time to have it and then normally it's been one round before the world championship i want to put in two rounds uh, and i would connect them with the uh, Mila and yukola as everyone is going there anyway so before Mila, you have a world cup round saturday sunday tuesday or like thursday saturday sunday like so you have three races the weekend before and then everyone goes to Mila. And then you do the same for Yukola. Of course, that would put some limitation in where you can organize these kind of races because you want quite short travel distance. So, I mean, before Tiumila, you can have it in Sweden, you can have it in Norway, you can have it in Denmark, or you can have it in Poland, like quite close. And then before Yukola, you could have it in Finland or in any of the Baltic countries. Um, yeah, I mean, if you had asked me two years ago or like, one year ago i would also add russia as a potential organizer for that but yeah that's that's way off the charts as the world looks right now and uh, but uh, already next year it's uh, decided uh, how it will be and uh, we can mention that uh, short yeah so next year's world cup it will start with one round with forest races in norway in the end of april so it's a very early start of the world cup and then you have the world championship in july also forest races and then quite soon after the world championship you jump to czech republic for another world cup round where they have both sprint races and forest races and then you round off the international season with the with the european champs in sprint races in italy so i mean this is a great opportunity to show that there is like between april end of april and july there is no international races it would be so easy to put a World Cup round in uh, before Yukola. And I think, the, I think the IOF should really, really work to try to make the World Cup grow, to make, uh, yeah, to make it more visible, to make orienteering bigger 
uh, and more attractive for yeah for the spectators but also for sponsors and stuff yeah so uh five uh, rounds of world cup uh, would be uh, your suggest suggestions for uh, yeah the next uh, years yeah i mean if now uh, if we say the number five that's included with the world champions round when world championship so now there is three rounds of world cup plus the world championship so i would try for 2024 and 2025 to add one more and then maybe if that works well uh, you could also try to implement another world cup round earlier in the season maybe already in the late march or very first part of april and then of course uh, it should be organized in southern europe where the conditions for orienteering is so good uh, already early in the season i could uh, i could have it in the easter or something like that yeah something like that or you, as we have seen a few if you jump back five ten years ago where there was a few world cup rounds in new zealand or australia i think that's fun and it's good in a way uh, to bring orienteering out in the world but for me the most important thing is to have a more have more races in what's the traditional orienteering season uh, so there is not because if you organize a world cup event in january i don't think that would be really attractive for the tv uh, because there is so much winter sports um, so yeah i would aim for more races in the periods from april to october uh, international orienteering podcast uh, yeah and uh, but if we look at uh, the the guys and uh, girls who is not world cup runners yet uh, the juniors Uh, in the they took part in the junior european cup this um, weekend have you looked at that uh, eva yeah the junior european cup was organized in blankenburg which is uh, a small small city i don't know if it's really small i have no idea uh, but yeah it's in the middle of germany somewhere between hanover and leipzig and it was a sprint race a long distance race and a relay race on the program and these races would be a good test for the jvok uh, but it seems like uh, sweden norway and finland they didn't send their jvok runners to these races and also some good juniors were at the world cup uh, we have seen some of the french runners with basil basse and tiffen mule uh, italian runners with uh, ilan angeli and also some of the best hungarian runner juniors were at the world cup instead of here So it was a quite limited field here, but we will still have a small look at the results in, yeah, especially men and women 20, as these are the ones that are the most interesting regarding the upcoming JWOC. Uh, yeah, what do you take out of that? Yeah, I mean, first we have the sprint races, which is not really that interesting because there is no sprint races at JWOC in a month's time. So we can just briefly say that the, in the women's class there was a double victory for Switzerland with Sanna Hotz ahead of Vera Moser. And in the men's class, the French guy, Nathan Marchand, won ahead of a Danish guy, uh, Oscar Brom Jensen. Uh, but then the long distance is more interesting with the eyes of the upcoming Jaywalk. And here we saw in the women's 20 that uh, Lucy Semikova from Czech Republic won, uh, ahead of Erika Åkesson from Sweden and with Ines Berger in third place. And also, if you look uh, further down the list, there was four more Swiss girls in the top seven. So five of the top seven were Swiss girls. 
and they also had Lily Grabe, the junior world championship from last year in long distance. She was only number 12. So really solid performance by the Swiss girls in that class. Is it uh, because of the terrain or is it because of the, the skills of the runners uh, from uh, Switzerland? Yeah, I think these, uh, the kind of traditional continental terrain that suits the Swiss runners really good. But then also, yeah, I mean, Lucy Semikova, she won medals at JWOC last year. And, uh, but without the best Swedish girls, without the best Finnish girls, without the best Norwegian girls, Mm, the Swiss girls, they should be, uh, as a team, the best runners in this class. And if we look at the men's uh, class, what can you take out of that? Yeah, also here it was uh, good for the Swiss. So Pascal Scheri, obviously one of the favorites for JWOC later, he took the victory. Ahead of Danish guy Oskar Brom Jensen, so second silver medal for Oskar Brom Jensen. And then Roman Dische from France took the bronze medal. I think in this class it was uh, interesting to see that the best Swedish runner was in 19th spot and the best Norwegian runner was in 37th spot. So bad for the Swedish, horrible for the Norwegians. Uh, but uh, interesting to see a uh, Danish guy here uh, performing well. Could it be a new, uh, uh, new uh, Søren Bobak coming up? Yeah, I mean that was a bit uh, a surprise for me. Uh, I have no, he, it was a surprise for me. I had no idea of him uh, before these races. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's two races, two, uh, two medals, even if it's a bit limited competition. Uh, the Swiss runners here are really good. The French runners are good. Uh, so he can obviously be a challenger also for the, for the top results at JWOC. And uh, we also had uh, some relays uh, the last day in the Junior European Cup. Yeah, so in the women's class it was a bit of a surprise victory to the Finnish second team. Uh, they won the sprint uh, against Switzerland and Sweden got the bronze only 10 seconds behind. So it was a really close battle there. Uh, and in the men's class it was uh, a bit bigger differences where France with uh, Roman Discher on the last leg took the victory ahead of Switzerland and Estonia got the bronze medal after a fantastic last leg by Jürgen Jonas uh, which was more than one and a half minute faster than the second fastest guy. Uh, so that's a really, yeah, really, really interesting performance and yeah, I mean it would be stupid to not uh, note down his name for, for the JWOC sooner. Is he uh, is he uh, a fast runner or is it a fa phantom runner or is it can he perform as good as that later on also? Uh, he seems to be a quite good sprinter. So I, uh, of course, I don't know him, but uh, I assume his uh, physical capacity is quite good. He was in tenth place at the JWOC sprint this summer, uh, and with a race like this, uh, he he should clearly aim for to other top ten spots at JWOC. And then we note uh, his name. Is there any other notes we should uh, uh, take before the JWOC in uh, one month? I mean, looking at the long distance, I think uh, Lucy Semikova, which was second at, at JWOC last year, and Pascal Scherer, which was also in the top 10 at last year's JWOC, they look to be on good route for JWOC. Uh, other, uh, other things you have uh, notes from uh, Junior European Cup? Ah, not not a lot of interesting stuff, but I mean, uh, the depth of the Norwegian male juniors is uh, very disappointing. 
uh, not surprising. Uh, we saw that in the Norwegian Championship uh, a few weeks ago, uh, that in men 20, number 10 of the long distance was almost half an hour behind the winner. And uh, yeah, so the best Norwegian juniors, they are good. But uh, take away the five, six, seven, maybe eight best runners. And then unfortunately, there is uh, yeah, not much, uh, not, not a lot of good runners, unfortunately. Uh, if we look uh, to next weekend, um, we can uh, see there is uh, this uh, 25 relay in uh, Sweden just outside Stockholm um, you have uh, probably been running that both for Tyrving and uh, Södertälje Nykvarn orientering uh, what do you think about that relay? Yeah, 25 is a great relay I mean it's uh, the whole club uh, it's a relay for the whole club you need uh, old runners, you need kids and uh, of course it's really important to have the have really good elite runners too uh, so it's a great relay always organized around Stockholm area this time it's south of Stockholm, it's uh, Tullinga area. And I've been running in that forest a lot of time when I lived in Stockholm. Um, so I mean, those who are going there will get a very nice experience. Uh, last time it was uh, Tampere and Pyrante who won. Uh, they, had a, they had a good travel in the back of IFK uh, Göteborg who was actually disqualified. But uh, Tampere won ahead of Nydalens, Asko and Kuvi. Uh, what do you think about this year's relay? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tampere is always good at uh, 25 manor. Nydalen has also been really good uh, the last uh, few years. Uh, Kove, which was third last time, I will not expect them to be anywhere near the top spot if they even participating. Uh, so I think the yeah the biggest favorites would be IFK Göteborg, Stora Tuna, Linné, Tampere Pirente, maybe Helsing in Sunnestad, Nydalen. Uh, Uko Ravinen is a very interesting team. Uh, also, Halden used to be good at Tumi, at Chifemana, and there are always a few surprising teams. Uh, maybe SNU could be up there, for example. No, we are starting to be as uh, sympathetic as Kasper Fossa mentioning the whole uh, starting field here. Uh, if you can limit it to three teams. Yeah, so uh, of course, with Chifemana, it's kind of hard to know. Uh, which teams will come with all their best runners. Uh, for example, I know that the, the Swiss national team will have a training camp the next weekend. So those teams that has a lot of Swiss runners, they will, uh, they will miss their, their elite runners. Um, so yeah, but I'm narrowed it down to IFK Göteborg as number one, Stora Tuna as number two, and Nydalen as number three. Uh, I will uh, make a shout out to Nydal. They are coming with uh, four teams from Oslo to uh, Stockholm uh, to run Sugifamana. That's uh, impressive, I think. Yeah, I mean Nydal is a huge club, and they have, yeah, they are really good at making these uh, these uh, relays. Uh, uh, yeah, like a, make it a event that uh, you don't want to miss out on. And you, when you have four teams, it's uh, hundred runners. And they probably have a few support staff and a lot of kids that are not old enough to run yet. So they will be a big bunch on tour. Um, uh, is it uh, actually they are uh, shifting? Last time it was um, the women's who run the last leg. Yeah. Is it the men's who run the last leg yeah, this year? Yeah, I think the men's are running the last legs. That means that the women are running the first leg. Uh, and then 
Uh, yeah, so it starts with one leg with the women, and then it's one leg with the men, and then you start with these parallel legs where there are five legs with four runners, and then you end with three individual legs in the end. Uh, Shifamana is a great relay. Uh, I have a lot of good experience running there, and it's also uh, every year it's a bit interesting because it's hard to know which team has the good men 50s, which team has the the good women 18s. So yeah, I mean it can be, can be yeah, it can be some, some surprises perhaps. Uh, but Ifko, they are not uh, going with um, the overall winner in the World Cup. Kaspar Fossa, he will run the Norwegian champs in cross country running on Sunday um, in uh, Bergen. He was number three last year in uh, Frognaparken. Now it's maybe a heavier uh, course this year on. Uh, a bit more marshy field in Bergen. Uh, what do you think about Fossa? Yeah, I think perhaps... Uh, I, I'm not sure if he's better physically now than he was the last time he ran. Uh, and I'm not sure about the start field. Uh, if the Ingebrigtsen shows up, it will be hard for him. Uh, but if they are not there, I think he should be a challenger for a medal. I, I think definitely he would uh, he should aim for a medal and then we will uh, see which kind of medal it will be after he have run on Sunday. Uh, do you have any hot or not for uh, this week? Evo National Orienteering Podcast. Uh, do you have any hot or not for uh, this week? Yeah, so we will end this podcast with a hot or not as. Uh... As a tradition now, uh, I would start with the hot. I want to give a shout out to the Netherlands, which actually they came with a full women's relay team for the relay on Saturday uh, with Eva van Dongen, uh, the bronze medal, bronze medal winner from the world championship in Nokko sprint earlier this summer. And then Anouik van der Burcht, uh, a junior runner, and Linda Schrade. So this is the first time ever in an international event in the women's class that Netherlands has a relay team. Uh, they have be previously had a men's relay team. The last time was in 1997. So it's the first time in 25 years that Netherlands are putting a, a yeah, relay team, full relay team on the start uh, line. And I mean, it's really good for orienteering to have more nations competing. It doesn't matter if they finish dead last. Uh, it's good to see them on the start list. Yeah, definitely. And uh, to take it down a bit, what is not for this week? Yeah, uh, we didn't talk much about the Junior European Cup sprint, uh, but apparently there was uh, some um, yeah, some some chaos going on there. Uh, there was a missing control out in the forest in the Man 20. Uh, yeah, so some runners, they were walking around there for a while, didn't find the control uh, before they continued the run. Uh, so the organizers, they decided to void that two legs that was affected by that one missing control and they created a results list. And I'm not sure if that is fair. Uh, you know, when you come to a control and there is no control, you start walking around a bit. Yeah, it's easy to lose motivation and especially you lose focus. So in my opinion, the class uh, should be voided in such a situation. Uh, I don't like it when you just ah we just remove those legs and then create the start list. That's not fair in my eyes. A result list at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, so for me it would be better to just void the class. You could give the 
prices in the other classes, but uh, if if there is a missing control, there should also be a missing result list in the end. But then also the the most insane part, and this is it almost sounds unbelievable, but I have it from uh, yeah via via Norwegian runners. So apparently there was uh, some organizers they managed to leave a bag of competition maps at the toilet in the quarantine and runners found those maps so some runners had apparently seen the courses or at least yeah they seen the maps maybe they didn't have a proper look at the course blah 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 blah. but i mean if if that is really true that the organizers left maps in the quarantine it's unbelievable and uh, that sounds uh, incredible um but uh, we will be back uh, next week with uh, more incredible stories than about Shugifama uh, now and uh, maybe we had some other things also there will be a relay champs in Czech Republic and uh, some others uh, uh, national champs also yeah the season still goes on uh, it's uh, a lot of races going on all the way until the jaywalk and then it's a bit uh, lighter international calendar uh, but we will still have a lot to talk about Thank you for listening this week and we will be back in one week. Ivar might not be the best runner in the family, but he is the best talker. Ivar National Orienteering Podcast. Mapping compass, navigation skill, orienteering competition. Running like a motherfucker. Ivar National Orienteering Podcast.